Welcome to the Healthy Habits for Active Aging podcast with your hosts, physical therapists, Dr. Michael Gorman and Dr. Lauren Bennett. This podcast will discuss a variety of health-related topics focused on educating the aging adult, allowing for an active lifestyle no matter the age. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Healthy Habits for Active Aging podcast. We are your hosts, Dr. Michael Gorman. And Dr. Lauren Bennett. Coming to you live, well, I guess live for us right now, but probably not live when you listen to this from St. Louis, Missouri. Today, I can't believe it. Time is going by so fast. This is our ninth podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the indications of when to use heat or ice. And Lauren, I don't know about you, but this is something if I had a dollar for every time in my career that a family member or friend or patient, when should I use heat? When should I use ice? I would tell you right now that I would be in Hawaii right now (laughs) living on the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. I would have multiple vacation houses as well. So we're going to talk about heat versus ice and as far as managing soreness, stiffness, and swelling. We're going to spend a lot of time today talking about heat and ice, but let's not forget that when you have an injury, it is not only important to use heat or ice appropriately, but it's really super important to not forget that we have to move. We have to move our bodies because if we have swelling in an area, Yeah, ice is helpful, elevating is helpful, but active movement of the injured area in a pain-free range of motion is really crucial for decreasing that swelling. All right, well, we're going to start with when would be a good idea to use ice? Well, first of all, when we talk about ice, it's typically going to be with acute injuries. And when we talk acute injuries, I'm not saying acute But acute means it just happened, not that it's pretty, but that it just happened. So usually in the first 48 hours after an injury, that is when ice is going to be very helpful. You should have some notable swelling and stiffness to an area. But it's important to understand that if you have a chronic condition or something, whether it be a shoulder or a knee or a hip, the acute stage can kind of reoccur. So it's not like when your injury first happened, but if you get a flare-up, well, that's also an acute stage, and that's also, again, a good time to use ice during those first 48 hours. But I think what we should talk about is not only when to use ice, but what does ice do? Like, why would we use ice? And when we use ice, what we're trying to do is reduce blood flow to an area to reduce swelling of an area. So not only that, not only the swelling reduction, but also pain management, the use of ice as an analgesic is going to actually numb the area. It's going to block the nerve receptors in the area just for a short period, which can help to decrease pain. You can use ice for more chronic overuse injuries, such as a tendonitis, and you can use ice as well after you do an activity, especially maybe one you haven't done for a long time. Or if you significantly ramped up your exercise intensity, not a bad idea to be proactive after you get done exercising and use ice. But we definitely don't want you to use ice before you exercise because, well, it's important for you to know what's occurring in your body. 
And if you do use ice before you exercise, well, that makes sense, right? And that you're just not going to be able to feel things as well. So no ice before activity. I think that's a really good point. I think I've used ice before when I didn't know any better. Ice my shoulder before I go out and pitch my softball game. It's not going to go as well because I'm just generally more stiff. So ice after exercise, not before. So what are the different ways you can apply ice? So I've seen ice most commonly in the form of a cold pack, whether you're filling a plastic Ziploc bag of ice and then keeping it in the freezer or actually purchasing a cold pack keeping it in the freezer. That's probably the most common form of ice that I see, but there are some others. Ice bath, generally save that one for the athletes. There's some sprays out there, topical gels. I don't know about you, Dr. Gorman, but I have a lot of questions in the clinic about icy hot or biofreeze. Those are just different topical pain management techniques like Dr. Gorman was talking about that analgesic effect, just a little soothing to the area. Another form, I really like this one. It's ice massage. So it's very localized. What you would do is basically fill a Dixie cup or something similar, put it in the freezer, let it freeze. And then when you take it out, just kind of peel off that edge of the Dixie cup. And then you basically have a little ice cube and you can hold the Dixie cup in your hand so it doesn't get too cold. And then you're going to go to that area where it's hurting that maybe the area that's just achy or swollen and it's very, very localized. So it's quick, it's easy and localized, which is what I like. And, you know, this is for an area of the body that could have tendonitis. So I've used it most frequently in elbows, maybe some Achilles tendons, bicep tendonitis up in the shoulder. Some very quick, easy locations. But the disadvantage is that it, it can be very messy as it, it can melt very quickly But most importantly, you have to be careful with how long you're applying this ice massage. Typically, I'll explain and educate to patients that you're going to feel four stages. And first of all, when you start doing it, it'll just feel cold. And then you'll go through the phase where you get a little achy. And then you'll start to feel a burning. And then when you stop is when you feel that it's numb. So you actually want to achieve that, which typically happens within three to five minutes. But I would say... Set a timer for sure and not go above that five minutes as too much numbness. You don't want to do any nerve damage or anything like that. So cold, achy, burning, numb, three to five minutes, and that's when you should stop. There's a little tidbit on how do you make a DIY do-it-yourself ice pack. I like this one. I've actually tried it before. I don't know about you, Dr. Gorman. Have you tried to make your own ice pack before? I have. It's essentially throwing ice cubes in a Ziploc bag and putting it on the area. <laughs> okay, so this one's a little bit more high-tech than yes, that. Yes, yes. <laughs> One cup of rubbing alcohol mixed with two cups of water and freeze. And you'll get that nice, almost like gel-like substance where, you know, if you put it over your knee or over your shoulder, it actually can form to the surface and not just have ice falling off the shoulder. So I do like that. You know, just make sure you double, double bag it. (laughs) Talking from experience. Okay. (laughs) How long should you ice for? So not talking about ice massage here, but just an ice pack or, you know, say an ice bath, 10 minutes. If you leave the ice on for too long, you're going to turn your skin red, which is going to have the opposite effect of what we want to achieve and decreasing blood flow has occurred. So 10 minutes, set a timer. You do not want to do any damage to your skin. I've seen it before. I've seen frostbite. I actually had a patient before that 
came to the clinic and we did ice with her at the end. And she goes, how long are you doing it for? I said, we always do 10 minutes. And she goes, okay, just checking. I ran a marathon once and my whole way home for an hour, I had my Achilles tendon icing on the dashboard and she got home. And the next day her skin was like sloughing off. It was dry and flaking coming off. So she really did some damage to the skin. Do not let that happen. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. You know, we want, we want you to use the ice for really 10 minutes. And sometimes I even say 10 minutes max. If you take the ice pack off and all of a sudden your skin is really red. Well, guess what? As Lauren was saying, it's the opposite effect. What we're trying to do with ice is decrease the blood flow to the air. And if you leave the ice pack on too long, you'll take it off and it's red, which means, guess what? There's some increased blood flow that's occurring. So 10 minutes max is good. Another question that I've also gotten as well is, well, how many times a day should I ice? And I would say, you know, it depends. If you had surgery, say you're just getting home from a total knee replacement, total shoulder or surgery in general, well, you're going to be somebody that wants to ice more frequently. So staying on ice for 10 minutes and maybe doing that every hour is very helpful to getting that swelling down so you can get your range of motion back a little sooner. One thing we haven't talked about yet is that the ice is super important for decreasing swelling. But if you have an ice pack, say, on a knee and you have swelling in the knee, we strongly encourage you to prop that leg up, elevate that leg, elevate that leg is so important. In fact, if I had to say whether elevation was more important to decrease swelling or using ice pack, I would probably say it's elevation. But when we say elevate your leg up, it's got to be above the level of your heart. A lot of people think it's merely just putting your leg up on one pillow. Well, that's not so true because we need to really prop that leg up. I tell people, whatever, three, four, five pillows sometimes you have to prop the leg up because we have to get your knee above the level of your heart so that fluid can start to drain out of that area. So don't forget when you're icing an area, if there's noticeable or obvious swelling, try to elevate that up. That's a very good point. Yes. So lastly, with the ice, what do you want to look for? What are some things to look for? So we call this blanchable skin. Like Dr. Gorman already said, make sure that there's a barrier to the skin. You do not want to apply that ice directly onto the skin. That's when you can do damage. The skin may be red. And if you press on it, it should turn yellow and then turn back to red. When it doesn't turn yellow, there may be some tissue damage. So keep your eyes to 10 minutes and just when you take it off, press on it with your finger and make sure it turns yellow and back to red to make sure that you still have blood flow to the area. And you can assess this about 30 seconds after you remove your ice pack. And then the last tidbit here is when do you not want to use cold? It cannot be for everyone. I think if I were to ask most people if they preferred a hot ice pack or a hot pack, <laughs> they'd probably say a hot pack. Not everybody, but I know I would. But there are some people out there that really just have a cold allergy or poor tolerance. So Raynaud's, which is a condition where you just have poor circulation, especially in your hands and your feet, kind of your distal extremities. So you may be somebody who goes out in the wintertime and your hands immediately turn red, get a little tingly. So cold may not be for you. If you have high blood pressure, if you have coronary artery disease or sensory deficits, do not put ice on an area that you cannot feel. I know there's a lot of people out there that maybe have some sensation problems in their legs, especially their feet. And if, say, you roll your ankle and you have swelling, it's okay to do ice on it a little bit, but make sure you're doing your skin blanchable test. But do not be somebody that sits on it 
great periods of time that has sensory deficits, you're not going to feel that numbing effect and not know when to remove it. You could do more damage. Absolutely. I think also you talked on it just briefly here, but when to not use cold. I've had a lot of patients that just can't stand cold. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a psychological aversion to cold, especially, I mean, I do think the first 48 hours after an injury during that acute phase, I think that is a fantastic time for ice. But if you are someone that just hates ice and hates it being on you, well, I would more than likely say, well, after we get past this acute phase, if you don't want to use ice because you have an aversion to it, okay. But just make sure that the joint is elevated up. Very good point. All right. So here, let's take a little commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll be discussing when to use heat and the types of heating agents out there. iMove PT is proud to be the sponsor for the Healthy Habits for Active Aging podcast iMove PT is a mobile physical therapy company based out of St. Louis, Missouri and expanding throughout the United States. We bring a unique one-on-one physical therapy experience to the privacy, safety, and convenience of our patient's home, office setting, or the location of their choice. For more information about iMove PT, please go to www.imovephysicaltherapy.com or feel free to email us at info at imovephysicaltherapy.com. Have a great day. All right, we are back. We hope that you enjoyed our commercial break and we're very uh, thankful for our proud sponsor, iMove PT. Let's move on to talk about heat and when we should use heat. I love heat. I'm not a big fan of cold, which is why I'm not too thrilled that fall is upon us. Is fall upon us yet? When does fall start? Today, I can get the 8.04 p.m. Oh, I heard no. on the radio this morning. Oh, I love fall, but I know what happens after fall. It's that word that starts with a uh, W, and I'm not like going to talk about that. <laughs> I don't like it either. I'm not going to talk about that. But anyway, hopefully you live in an area where you don't have to worry about that W word. So when we're looking at heat, we're going to be using heat more with a chronic injury with joint stiffness. With heat, we typically use it before an activity to increase blood flow and flexibility. So what happens is you get vasodilation, which simply means the arteries dilate. So you have increased blood flow to an area and we have increased metabolic rate of the tissue as well. Now, I would also caution, I do think that using heat is good before we do an activity. However, I would still limit it before the activity to maybe five or 10 minutes just to warm the area up to make it maybe a little bit more flexible. If you use the heat for too long, maybe it overheats the area. Maybe it gives you a, I don't know, I don't know if the word is false sense of security, like you can do more than you really can. Again, I do think heat before an activity is good if needed just to warm up the joint You can also, besides using heat, you can warm up a joint by maybe getting on a stationary bike for a few minutes and getting your blood flowing as well. All right. I digress. I know I'm very, very good at that. I apologize. Uh, Dr. Bennett does a great job of keeping us on task. He's a good taskmaster. So we're going to come back. And we also can use heat to increase range of motion. Moist heat, such as in the way of a hot bath or shower, is very helpful for arthritis. I tell a lot of my arthritis patients, there's nothing wrong with staying a couple extra minutes in the shower and really allowing that water to just gently hit that area. But again, we want to make sure that it's not so hot that we could cause any type of burn. So be very aware of that. 
And then after we get through that, you know, initial 48 hours, that acute phase of a muscle strain, then heat can be used at that point in time. There's different ways that you can use heat. There's different types of heating agents out there. Moist heat. I really love this. Moist heat is good. We've already talked about showers, baths, things of that. They make really neat hot packs that you can buy and you can put them in the microwave and it's a moist heat type of agent. If you have a chance to ever dip your hands in paraffin, oh my goodness, that is a treat. But especially if you have arthritis of the hands, you should consider getting a paraffin wax bath for home. It's a great, great thing for that. Heating pads, so like more of a dry heating pad. Also helpful as well, just me, myself, I like more of the moist heating packs, but we want you to be totally where I, again, if I had a dollar for every time a patient told me this, well, I wouldn't probably be living in Hawaii, but I don't know, some other exotic place, I'm sure. But the amount of people that have fallen asleep with a hot pack on is a lot more than what you might think. We never, we never want anyone to fall asleep with a hot pack on you. I don't think I really need to explain that, but both Dr. Ben and I have seen people with burns because they've left the heat on too long, whether they were awake or asleep. You want to be careful of that. Also, we both have seen people that just had a chronic use of heat for too long, and that could damage your skin as well. It could cause hyperpigmented areas that kind of look like a reflection of water. You just have to be so careful with our skin. Our skin, as you might or might know, is not know, is our largest organ. That's a little fun fact that when you're at a party, you can uh, bring that up. But we have to just really be careful of our skin. Other forms of heat you may have heard of, you may not heard of, that maybe when you have heard of these at your physician's office or if you go into a physical therapy clinic, you might have heard of something called ultrasound. It's a deep heating agent. We can probably have a totally different podcast on ultrasound and what it does and whether Lauren and I think there's any value to it. Mm-hmm. I've got my own feelings, but I'll not get on my soapbox right now. There's something called diathermy. And honestly, diathermy, I learned it so long ago, I can't even tell you what in the heck it is. What, what does it do, Lauren? It's a deeper form of heat as well, but... I don't even know if they still teach. I think they still teach it in school for the effects of taking boards. Um, But I've only ever really seen it in a nursing home that I did my clinical at. Yeah. And then there's red light therapy. There's laser therapy. There's all types of things out there. So one more tidbit of how you can apply heat and ice together. And I'm a fan of this one. I'm not sure how much Dr. Gorman has ever used it, but I would say this is for recalcitrant swelling. Well, hold on. That was uh, that was too fan. I don't. I don't Recal- even know what that. Is. It's stubborn swelling. Okay, maybe you're somebody that sprained an ankle many months ago, and you are so frustrated because you cannot get that swelling to go away. There just seems to be like this pocket of swelling compared to the other ankle. And you can use something called a contrast bath. So you're going to make one bucket of ice bath and then one bucket of a heat bath. And so your ice should be like 50 degrees and then your heat bath, like 98 to hundred degrees. And what you're going to do is set a timer. I like heat better. So I usually start and end in heat, but you do two minutes of heat 
And then you're going to switch over and immediately submerge your foot or extremity into the ice bath for one minute and then back into the heat. And you'll repeat that for three to five sequences. So heat, two minutes, ice, one minute, heat, two minutes, ice, one minute, heat, two minutes, ice, one minute, and then back in the heat to end is my preference. It just kind of shocks the system, pushes that swelling from the distal extremity back up to the heart. I'm a fan of contrast baths, but it's typically something I will educate patients to do on their own time at home and then report back on how it helped. I'm still stuck on that word you use. What was that? (laughs) Can you spell that for me? No, No. I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm joking. Anyway, also one thing, if you have just uh, on an aside here, if you have this chronic swelling, let's say you had an ankle sprain and this swelling, it's been too long, whatever too long is a month or two and you're still struggling with it. One thing that can be very helpful is called manual physical therapy to have a therapist get in there and do soft tissue work to the area to maybe break some adhesions up, break some scar tissue, but start to move that swelling along. So that can be a nice adjunct to use of the heat and the cold. And then when should we not use heat? Well, we've already talked about this just a bit, but when you have acute inflammation, a swelling of a joint, that acute phase, which we said it was about 48 hours, let's avoid the heat at that point in time. If you have numbness in an area, we need you. Yeah, that's not good. We need you to be able to feel that sensation, that heat. If you have heart disease, and then if you have any open wounds, please, please, please do not use any heat on that. So let's recap today. The general rule of thumb is that what works for one may not work for another because these are general guidelines of when to use ice versus heat during periods of acute versus more chronic. So first 48 hours after an injury versus weeks to months on out or how to increase your flexibility and promote healing. Do not heat for more than 15 to 20 minutes and do not ice for more than 10 minutes. And remember to check the skin following. You definitely want to have a barrier to the skin as well. And then the last point from today is that heat before exercises will increase tissue mobility and ice following exercise will reduce inflammation and pain. Do not ice before exercise. That's our last tidbit for today. So thank you for joining us to learn about the indications and contraindications of heat and ice. We hope you learned something for yourself or possibly a family member or friend. If you're enjoying our podcast, please remember to subscribe and share If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics, please email us at info at imovephysicaltherapy.com. Remember to tune in next Wednesday, where we'll be discussing ergonomics for the workstation at home. Have a great day. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Habits for Active Aging podcast. If you have any questions for Dr. Gorman or Dr. Bennett, please send an email to info at imovephysicaltherapy.com. To learn more about healthy aging, visit our website at imovephysicaltherapy.com. Like what you hear? Be sure to rate and subscribe. See you next week.